For the Climate Discussion Nexus, I'm John Robson. With the latest readout video from our Wednesday wake-up newsletter and the latest group urging conservatives to adopt liberal policies on climate so the cool kids will like them. Frankly, we're not sure about the timing. Canada's hapless federal conservative party had just dumped its erstwhile true blue red Tory leader for his serial ineffectual policy flip-flops, including on carbon taxes, when this conservatives for clean growth sprang up to urge the party to get hip on climate. It's not even obvious to us that it's good tactical advice, since four of our five national parties are already all in on climate alarmism. Also, we have this kind of quaint belief that you should debate key issues in an open society, which they don't seem to share. For instance, their manifesto is extraordinarily vague, offering only the usual hype about all the great but unnamed opportunities in the green economy that nobody seems able to see or grasp. And their executive director told an interviewer, quote, some people think climate change is an existential crisis. I won't debate that, end quote. Uh, maybe you should. But instead, he explained, quote, for me, the existential crisis is never having a conservative government, end quote. Right. Blue ties good, red ties bad. Just what we need to save the planet. But look, we're trying to think well of people. So when we got an email teaser to a news story, quote, house collapses into ocean and scatters debris for miles along North Carolina coast, end quote, we hoped it wouldn't blame climate. Alas, quote, a 2020 study published in the journal Nature Climate Change concluded that half of the world's beaches could disappear by the end of this century as a result of climate change-induced coastal erosion and rising seas, end quote. Yeah, it could. But what about now? This unfortunate dwelling was in Rodanth on the Cape Hatteras National Seashore, and while it was built in 1980 to the highest standards of quick and rentable beachfront vinyl siding, even the news story shows it next to a whole row of similar houses that didn't collapse. What it didn't show, but Google Maps does, is that Rodanth is here. So how in the name of all that's washing away could there possibly not be erosion here in 2050, in 2022, and in 1943? Still, please don't laugh because you're going to need it for the next story, where the Washington Post says with a straight typeface, quote, climate change is altering the smell of snow, end quote. And yes, we made the we don't need no stinking snow gag before choking on the reek of... Wait a minute, even the Post admits snow doesn't smell. It calls winter, quote, a kind of olfactory pause, end quote. But still, climate change will make it smell worse because there's nothing it can't do, including hang methane high. Last fall, we warned that alarmists in search of a return to that first blissful high had started turning from CO2 to the harder stuff like methane. And now we hear of a new study about a grim milestone of the dreaded CH4 reaching 1,900 parts per billion. And sure enough, in the Nature account, scientists no longer say or warn, they raise alarm. And methane levels don't just rise, they soar, having raced past 1,900 parts per billion last year. Eventually, the story admits that, quote, some researchers fear that global warming itself is behind the rapid rise, end quote, not the other way around. But of course, having been caused by climate breakdown, methane will now cause it. Quote, the spike has caused many researchers to worry that global warming is creating a feedback mechanism that will cause ever more methane to be released, making it even harder to rein in rising temperatures, end quote. Right, just the way it didn't when it was warmer than today in the Holocene climatic optimum or the Eemian or many other periods. And as one chart concedes, quote, neither trend is well understood, end quote. But of course, the science is settled, and all the milestones are so grim, they could be tombstones. And now, a word from our sponsor. And that's you. Because at the Climate Discussion Nexus, we're dependent upon support from our viewers and our readers. 
please go to our donate page, make a one-time pledge, or if you can, a monthly one. I'm not talking a lot of money though. If you've got it, we'll take it. $2 a month, $3, $5. That's the sustaining funding that we need to produce these videos on our newsletter. And now, back to me. Also this week, The Economist had emailed us a chance to, quote, make sense of the climate change crisis, end quote, which sounded like a good idea, though we didn't think they were good candidates. Still, they got one thing right in their, quote, immersive experience of our award-winning journalism, end quote, and, uh, quote, curated topical opinion, end quote. They said, quote, expensive energy is baked into Britain's future. It's not cheap being green, end quote. Gosh, without you, we never would have known, unless we looked at our own energy bills or read our past newsletters. Say, maybe The Economist should subscribe to us. You certainly should. Now, since we don't want to sow discord by calling everyone idiots, despite frequent temptation, we also note this week that David Leonhardt in the New York Times The Morning said something true, unexpected, and important. Quote, good morning, why follow the science fails to answer many questions, end quote. And he then made some very good arguments about COVID, risks, and trade-offs. He even said, quote, many people have come to believe that expert opinion is a unitary, omniscient force. That's the assumption behind the phrases follow the science and what the science says. And imagine science almost as a god, capital S science, who could solve our dilemmas if we only listened, end quote. Unfortunately, he doesn't apply these insights to climate change yet. But we're waiting, hopefully. And while we wait, we're continuing our sunburnt lands up north tour with a visit to Fort Smith, Yukon, to see if it's blazing away as our government seems to think it should be. Uh, that'd be not, despite a one-off increase in January temperatures around 1980 to uh, really cold anyway. And in February, it inched up a degree or so around the late 1970s, presumably before climate breakdown hit, especially since even then it didn't get back to the highs it had reached in the 1920s and 1930s. March might be trending up very slightly, but if it's Fort Smith or Fort Lauderdale for winter vacation, go south or you might go west. And if you're thinking, oh no, Florida has hurricanes and stuff, well, via Roger Pilkey Jr., we've learned of a new comprehensive assessment of extreme weather trends in the European Physical Journal Plus that finds, guess what? Nothing alarming about any major category of extreme weather events except that they always happen and still do, which is bad, but not new. Just as a dig into the CO2science.org archive finds that computer models used to do a lousy job of modeling Australian summer monsoons, but thanks to major advances in technology and programming techniques, they still do. For the Climate Discussion Nexus, I'm John Robson, and if you don't like it, blame climate change. <laughs>